Hi, and welcome to The Queers Are Watching. I'm Hannah. And I'm Sarah. And today we're going to talk about the film Disobedience. (laughs) I think you should leave that quiet long pause we left there because the whole movie is a quiet long pause. (laughs) Yeah, I think that's fair. And that wasn't like shady commentary, y'all. I really enjoyed this film, so. Unlike some reviewers that did feel like the movie was a long silent pause and oh, had an issue we'll with it. We'll get to those motherfuckers <laughs> in a minute. Okay. <laughs> um, let me just give you all a little background, as I usually do. Um, the film was released in 2017 at the Toronto International Film Festival, and then April 27th, it was released in U.S. theaters, um, and the U.S. Tribeca Film Festival released it on the 24th. So it's really recent. We watched it fairly recently. It doesn't release in the U.K. until November 30th. So they haven't seen it yet. So if you're in the UK and you're just, you know, average person, not a critic, then you probably haven't seen it yet. So don't listen to this podcast. Spoilers abound. (laughs) So many spoilers. It's rated R, uh, one hour and 54 minutes. Rotten Tomatoes gives it an 85%. The audience score on Rotten Tomatoes is 76%. IMDb gives it a 6.8 out of 10. And Metacritic has it at 74%. Um, it's based on a novel by Naomi Alderman, screenplay by Sebastian Lelio, who's also the director, and who also did the Oscar-winning A Fantastic Woman, and Rebecca Lankovich, I think, that's how you say her name. She also did the screenplay with him. Uh, it made a box office of $1.9 million, and it stars Rachel Weiss as Ronit, uh, Rachel McAdams as Essie, um, Alessandro Nuvola as David and Antoine Lesser as the Rav. Did you realize that? No, I didn't. Yeah, I didn't realize it because he looks so old and trash. But when I Googled, I was like, what the fuck? My mom's been watching The Crown. He's on The Crown. It's like a whole thing. (laughs) So for a quick uh, summary, a woman returns to the community that shunned her for her attraction to a childhood friend. Once back, their passions reignite as they explore the boundaries of faith and sexuality. That sounds about right. It's pretty, it's a lot, like, more interesting, I think, than that summary makes it sound. Um, Initial thoughts. What were your initial thoughts? You had none? You didn't write those down? (laughs) (laughs) It's hard to get into my initial thoughts without, like, talking about how the trajectory of the movie happens, I guess, because my main initial thought was about the ending. Okay. So I don't know if you want to talk about that later or now. It's up to you. (laughs) Well, what do you want to say about it? I I will say that I read somewhere that the book ending is not the same oh. as the ending in the film. Do you know so what happens in the book ending? She goes back with him and in the book, and she stays with him because they worked real hard to make a life. Oh. Which surprises me because of the quote that you told me about earlier that you can go ahead and tell everyone else about now, of the like, girl that wrote it. Okay. <laughs> so, basically, the author of the book said about writing this book, which was her first novel, by the way. She says, I went into the novel religious, and by the end, I wasn't. I wrote myself out of it. Which seems like she's coming down as pretty, like, anti-organized religion, it sounds like, for herself, anyway, in that quote. I mean, she seems like she's relating a little bit more to Ronit in that, in that way. Um, Basically, what I saw about her in relation to Ranit was that she has said that it's not an autobiographical account by any means but there are just like 
basic similarities that there tend to be when someone writes a novel um, with their main character. They tend to have like certain things that are the same. Like for instance, she was raised in a Jewish community in England and she later moved to New York. So that's the same. Um, but she claims that it's not biographical in any other way. Were they Orthodox? Did she say that? I can't remember if it said that they were Orthodox or not. I didn't read that about her, so probably not if it didn't say that specifically. It might have. I might just not remember. I think it said her dad was Orthodox, but didn't say anything about her mom. So I'm assuming like something happened there. Yeah, I don't know. Anyway, we we are so full of information. We know nothing, is what um, we're trying to say. Well, we're going to talk more about the movie, though. So, like, I feel like I need to explain the characters because this is a character-driven film, particularly because I think it was based on a novel. When things are based on novels, I think the characters are more developed. Which is fascinating because all the reviews, all the negative reviews that I saw all said that the characters were flat and that they didn't go anywhere. No, I think these people just have a really hard time reading between the lines. Yeah. I think those people are stupid. <laughs> <laughs> you can write all write that down. Write to the critics that these two girls on this podcast that I listen to once a month <laughs> said you guys are stupid. That's fine. <laughs> Agree. <laughs> Retweet. Anyway, so there's Ronit, who's played by Rachel Weiss, and she's like the rebellious one, and she's the one that leaves her Orthodox Jewish community because she's been kicked out by her father. She doesn't just leave. Um, although some people think she did because they don't know the real story. Um, and Rachel McAdams, whose name is Esty in the movie, that is her childhood friend slash lover. And that's why she got kicked out. Um, there aren't very many details about that in the film. And it's, I think it's left purposely vague. You're not really supposed to know what went on. Um, and they had a best friend, and his name was David, and Esty and David end up married. And let me just say that in the book, uh, Ronit is David's cousin. And I don't oh. think that was that the case in the movie. I think in the movie they just say they're childhood friends. Yeah. But, so that adds another layer of complicated to the book situation. <laughs> that kind of, like, that makes me see more of Esty's motivation to marry him. Like, to keep a piece of her with her. Yeah. Because otherwise she's just like, well, they said I had to get married to someone and he was our childhood friend, so why not him? Like, that's basically what she says in the movie. I'm like, damn, bitch, like, just leave. (laughs) (laughs) And she doesn't, like, the thing is, like, if she was super devout, I would be like, all right, she really believes in her religion. Like, that's why she didn't go. But she says a few things in the movie that are like, she's not happy. Like, she's unhappy. Like, she's the one that called Ranit and told her that her father died to get her to come out there, back to the place where she was shunned. Because she wanted her to come back. Like, that means you're not happy if you're looking for a wedge in your marriage. Like, you can't <laughs> call to the wedge. Like Yeah. And she also, the part where they're um, at dinner and... She says, oh my God, I can't remember what they're saying. I think they were talking about someone in the community that had changed their name to a more, to like a less Hebrew name. I think that's what they were talking about. Mm -hmm. And then Essie says, well, women change their names every day. Talking about marriage. Yeah. And they all are like, I can't believe she just said that. What a scandalous statement to make. (laughs) What a scandalous woman. (laughs) And then of course, like. Her and Ronit share, like, a little glance of, like, oh, yes, we're both rebellious now. (laughs) You could say we're disobedient. (laughs) 
I love it. I love that. Yeah. <laughs> but later they're shown, like, when they were teenagers, they were both rebellious. It's just she didn't get kicked out. Just Ronit did. Like, you can't go around singing The Cure in the old Rev's house. Like, you can't do that. <laughs> I also think... Let's talk about Ronit for a minute. Okay. she's a very interesting character. I kind of love her. Like, I kind of, like, I'm annoyed by her. She's a little bit pretentious and obnoxious, but I do love her. So, to get an idea of what Renit is like, she wears, like, leather jackets, and <laughs> she has her, like, wild hair, and she smokes cigarettes, and yeah. she's... She, she wears New York scarves. And she listens to rock music. She's, <laughs> just, she's a photographer. She's just everything. Which is, let me point this out, too. In the book, she's a financial analyst. So I thought it was interesting that they made her have a more artsy career path for the mm-hmm. movie to, like, really emphasize that. Which, like, I read a lot of reviews that were, like, saying that the characters were caricatures. And I feel like it was bordering on that with Renit. Like, she's a caricature of, like, a rebellious person. Mm -hmm. But also, like, those people exist. There are people out there that wear leather jackets and smoke cigarettes and only like photography and hate (laughs) religion. Um, I mean, absolutely. So I don't have a problem with that. Like, it's not like it's a bad one. Yeah. Like, if she was, like, I don't know. Like, honestly, I think, like, making a Jewish person a financial advisor is fucking worse than that. Like, yeah, enough of that. There's enough of that going around. Like, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, we can talk about Elon Musk and his... Let's never talk his, about Elon His Musk. tweet that oh, apparently God. wasn't anti-Semitic. I can't. Question mark. Do I want to talk about mark. a rich, white, South African guy who's a capitalist? Do we... I mean, let's ask Grimes what she <laughs> let's thinks. Let's never ask her. I used to say let's ask her, and now I will never defer to her. Shame on her. Ugh. Um, well, now that we're done with that. Okay, sorry. So, it, what's interesting to me is that when I was reading information about the book, Ronit is referred to as a lesbian. Um, Obviously, like, when I was reading stuff about the movie, she was referred to as a lesbian as well, but I figured that was just, like... People assuming. People making, yeah, assuming because it's a quote-unquote lesbian film or whatever. But it was interesting to me that that's also the case with how people are reading the book. I didn't see anything from the author saying what she thinks the sexuality of Renit is. But um, in the book, she's Renit is having an affair with her boss who's married. A guy boss. Um, okay. And in the, in the movie... She does have sex with a random guy within, like, the first, I would say, five to ten minutes of the film. She looks bored, though. Yeah, she does. And she's doing it because grief. TM. <laughs> yeah. But she does say something interesting that I think gives her away as a non-monosexual. When she's talking to Esty when they're alone on the way back from the store, she says, do you still only fancy women? Mm-hmm. And Esty says yes. And I believe Esty... Because I think Ronit asked Esty, like, have you been with another woman since me? Mm-hmm. And she says no. And then Esty says, what about you? And I think she also says no. Mm-hmm. Um, and I did see a quote from Rachel Weiss in which it felt like she was backpedaling. It feels like she said the word bisexual, realized in that moment what she just said, and then tries to, like, backpedal out of it. She said, Ronit is bisexual. Or she's gay for Esty. She loves Esty. It transcends definition. Esty is the love of her life, and she happens to be a woman. 
It's just... <laughs> Maybe she was trying not to assume what the writer wants to say. Maybe. Yeah. It just... I thought it was... It was funny to me that she was like bisexual. Or what I mean by that is that she's <laughs> actually just gay for SD. <laughs> Those are two different things, but okay. Can I also just say that when you Google disobedience film, mm-hmm. um, one of the top stories that comes up has the wonderful title, Rachel Weiss to star in steamy nude lesbian sex scenes with Rachel McAdams. Yeah, okay, so we can talk about the sex scene. Like, let's just, let's, I have a lot of notes on that. Um, but, like, pause. That's not the point of the movie. I mean, yeah, that's kind of my point. Which is why I think some of the audience reviews were a little lower. Because they thought it would just be one long pornographic thing. We've talked about this before. It's not that. <laughs> so everyone leaves unhappy. So there were some interesting reviews that will lead me into the sex scene. So on Rotten Tomatoes, you can leave a, a review as a viewer and not a critic. And there were some that were like, societal decay, pathetic and embarrassing. And then there was some that said like, too slow, lesbo BS, um, depressing, too sad, sex scene, too graphic. Then there was another one that said, I thought there would be more lesbian sex. So which one is it, y'all? Mm-hmm. Like... Everyone was very lukewarm. It was either not pornographic enough for them or, quote, too pornographic. And I thought it was interesting that two of the too pornographic type comments came from women. And I was like, I just, I thought because the director likes to do close-ups on people's faces that it was not pornographic. Like, you couldn't see most of what they were doing with their hands. Only, like, one flash of, like, some hands. And then it was, like, focusing on faces. Maybe it was the spitting thing that was like, oh, that was too much for them. <laughs> I don't, I think it might just be the fact that women were shown having orgasms. Like, because you know that can push a film. Yeah, into... I'm kind of surprised I didn't get an NC-17. Yeah, same. So. Yeah, that can definitely push it. Um, but I think that might have been the issue. Like, oh no, we don't want to see that. That makes it porn <laughs> or something. Um, I saw an interview with Rachel Weiss that said that um, the director originally had done a close-up of her also having an orgasm, but they said that ultimately, like, the narrative was geared toward Esty. So, like, her having an orgasm was more important because then otherwise it did seem like a pornographic, like, you're watching two women have sex. Otherwise, you were seeing Esty be sexually liberated. Yeah. It's about, it's like you said, it's character-driven. So, and that, that was a great choice to leave that out completely. So I disagree with those people that are like, it's so graphic. And then. <laughs> well, I also saw reviews on, you know, I'm not even going to say what website, partially because I don't remember. It was some <laughs> lesbian chat room. I never should have gone in there. No, don't go in there. But basically people were like, this is bullshit. This is horrible representation because we don't want to see more films about closeted people. Um, and by sluts. Um, oh. So that was a good slur thrown in there. Okay. Um, by sluts. Mm-hmm. That's one <laughs> word, by the way. And I've seen that many, many I've a time. I've never seen that. Really? Really. It's Maybe just... I should just never go on the internet. Um, yeah. So... By sluts. Okay. Logging that one away. They, like, one of the main complaints was that, um, they didn't want to see the the sex scene with her and her husband because they don't want to see that 
because it's so offensive. I'm like, I get it. Like, you're queer and you want to only see queer sex. But, like, it's part of the narrative of the story that she's in a unhappy marriage and she's not being sexually fulfilled. When people say shit like that, I'm like, like, you went too far in the opposite direction. Like, I'm, like, the queerest person I know. Like, I'm gay AF. But, like, I never look at heterosexual sex and go, oh, I can't stand to see this. It's repressive. Like, I mean, straight people are going to have sex whether or not queer people exist. If queer people and straight people got along and they all held hands, guess what? Straight people would still have sex. I don't know what to tell you. Like, that's life. (laughs) I think their issue was I went into this expecting a queer movie and there was straight sex in it. So I feel violated. Also, like, straight sex is part of a queer narrative sometimes. I don't know what to tell those people. Again, lesbian <laughs> chat room. No, don't, we can't go there. Don't go there. Don't go there. Um, so I am going to say, though, that it was a little bit long, the scene. I felt it should have been shorter because then it started to feel a little gratuitous. Like, But I guess all in all, it felt intimate and not exploitative, which I thought was fine. Um, I did. Okay, so I have like a few random quotes from people. Um... Somebody from Variety, Andrew Barker, said it manages to be explicit without suggesting male gaze voyeurism. Um, I don't know if he's just being like, I'm a feminist or male gaze voyeurism. Yeah, because I really do feel that way. But now that he's saying it, I'm like, dude, just am I missing something? (sighs) Did something happen that I missed? Um, The other one I have is from this is so weird. Okay, so I don't remember what magazine it was but they did an interview with Rachel Weiss and she said that Patty Smith came to a screening and she said I'm gonna read you the whole thing okay Patty Smith came to a screening of disobedience Miss Weiss says she's lovely so warm and generous she got up and said I just want to talk about the spitting in the mouth that was so beautiful to me I didn't care what gender either of you were it was just love beautiful love Patty's like a girl's girl she likes women that's what Rachel Weiss said about her. And, like, before that, Rachel Weiss was saying, like, what kind of music she listens to. And she happened to mention her. So I thought it was really cool that she came up to her and was like, I loved you in this lesbian movie. <laughs> <laughs> I thought that was really sweet. Um, So, like, if Patti Smith likes it, we're fine, I guess. I mean, I think I thought it was a good scene. I think I agree with you. It was, It felt a little uncomfortably long for me um i don't know if that's us being ace (laughs) i don't know to sit in a room with a bunch of people (laughs) yeah it's a little weird um for me but i also wonder how much of that is like societal societal repression like don't pull a bad thread girl (laughs) like how much of that is yeah we can't pull on that thread (laughs) (laughs) Um, I also have, okay, so in an effort to transition into this, because it kind of, it stuck with me, I read something, it was a, like a think piece about it from this guy named Elazar Fine. I don't know. He was on some website called filmschoolrejects.com. Don't judge me. I just opened up a bunch of stuff and looked at it to see what people were saying. Um, He said a lot about the inaccuracies of Jewish Orthodox religion portrayed in the film. But he also said something about the sex scene that I thought was just a straight man being stupid. He said, 
I have never been a lesbian. That's how he started his comment. And I'm like, okay, so you're, what you're going to say is stupid and ignorant. And then he said, I imagine there's not a lot of wriggling. Like, wriggling around. And then he was like, it just seemed like it, sex wouldn't be like that between two women. And I'm like, well, if you've never been a lesbian, you've never had sex with a woman as a woman, then you wouldn't know. But like... <laughs> Wait, he's saying they were wriggling or... Yes, he's saying they were wriggling around and he imagines there wouldn't be wriggling Why around. Why not? I'm so confused. I think because men <sighs> don't know how to make women have an orgasm that makes them wriggle around. <laughs> mm. And that was the conclusion I came to. That's fair. I can't imagine. I I'm so confused right now. That's a that's a wild thing to say. Because he literally doesn't understand what having good sex is like. I think he thinks it should look like what SD and David were doing <laughs> with the sheet in between and all. Oh my god. I was like, this is a person who does not understand sex at all. Like I almost feel bad for him, but not really because his whole like stupid article was just snarky and like I know everything I went to film school I thought it was funny too that you specifically said to me after the movie how beautiful you thought the direction was Mm -hmm. and I agreed and I thought there were a lot of really beautiful shots and it felt the movie felt very rich to me Mm -hmm. and then I was reading some of the reviews and people were saying it was just like a a drab boring white landscape with nothing in it and it was gray (laughs) and it was Cold. It's called creating tone. <laughs> I know. I'm like, yeah, they're in fucking England, London. Like, it's cold and cloudy there. Like, I don't know what to tell you. But, like, the whole point of, like, those muted neutral tones is to create a world in which someone feels trapped in a muted neutral tone. Like, I, I thought it was the perfect choice. Everything about it. Like, even the wide shots were sparse and the close-ups were meaningful. I think. And I think people just totally miss that. Like, there were some people that were like, ugh, I hate that this director likes close-ups. Like, just a zoom out for once. And I did not feel like that. And sometimes I do feel like that with directors. But I thought they were chosen carefully. So. Yeah, I kept thinking to myself, like, this film is really beautiful. Mm-hmm. So it was wild to me that people were like, ugh, yawn. There's not enough color. <laughs> I don't remember who said it, but it's in, like, the wiki article. Um... They said that it won't get um, the director out of, like, artsy indie films, for sure. But it will push his career forward. And I think that was pretty accurate because I do think it was very artsy. I think if you don't appreciate film, it would just go over your head or you would think it was boring or you wouldn't care. So... And that's not, like, commentary. Like, I don't think you, everyone needs to enjoy this film, but I just feel differently than most people, I guess. I think we were also, obviously, very emotionally invested um, because of the story itself. I think, like, maybe if a straight person's watching it, to them it's just a romance movie, and the romance doesn't live up to whatever expectations they have. But for us, there's so many other layers there. That was another thing. Like, a lot of people were like, oh, the pacing was slow. And I'm like, no, the pacing was perfect. Yeah. Like, how Give are you going to live? slow burn. <laughs> well, how are you going to live in, like, a repressive religious society? And then you see your ex-lover come through the door. What are you just going to do? Like, jump on them immediately in front of your new husband and the whole community? They wanted them to be, like, 
in this hot, steamy affair, like, from the get-go, and then, like, run off into the sunset holding hands with their new kid or something. Like, it was, I think it was realistic. And I think it was, like, about, like, you know, hiding in empty places. And, like, that's what queer people that are forced in the closet have to do. Like, that's part of their slow burn romance. Like, they don't get to do the things that straight people do. And I think straight people totally miss that. They wanted it to be, like, some fucking Hallmark movie or something. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I, I saw something that was, like, it was too much, like, a soap opera. And then someone else was, like, there wasn't enough drama or there wasn't enough romance. I don't think any of these people know what they want. Yeah, I don't. <laughs> yeah. I I also agree with what you said about, like, the the kind of abandoned, empty places. Like, I thought it was really poignant that their first kiss on that like since she had been home happened in her father's house that all of his stuff was like stripped away. Yeah. Ugh. <laughs> <laughs> there was a lot of symbolism in that too. Like when they thought that she was gone, they went back to the same house where they had the kiss and the house was empty because they were selling it. And like, there was a big wide shot of uh, David and Ranit standing in the middle of an empty room and there were things that were clearly peeled off the wall that, like, had left impressions. Like, everything about that was symbolic. Yeah. And, of course, the shot, like you said, where um, David is waiting um, in the synagogue to, to like, go up and give his big speech about how he's going to be the rabbi now. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's behind this glass door window thing. And it's, like fracturing his face into a bunch of different pieces and showing that he's torn in different directions. And it's all very, like, the direction is very symbolic in the whole movie. I thought it was great. <laughs> Same, but we're, like, metaphor sluts, so... That's true. <laughs> Not by sluts, metaphor sluts. <laughs> Speak for yourself. I'm just kidding. <laughs> I mean, if you want to reclaim that slur, I'm going to... Suggest you. that you don't. Yeah. But <laughs> no, I would not do that. I can't stop you. <laughs> um, the other thing, though, that the person um, from filmschoolrejects.com talked about, which I thought was accurate, so I'm going to give him some credit here. He said that there were a lot of Jewish inaccuracies, like the costuming, like when they were sitting for, I forgot what it's called now, when they were doing like the little dinner thing, what's that called? I don't know. I can't remember what it's called. Um, but he said, like, he would never wear a blue shirt. Like, if he... And he's a rabbi. So he would never do that. He would wear black. Um, and they said their prayer is wrong. Like, they used the wrong word for God in the wrong instances. Um, and then he also said something that s- stood out to me, even not knowing this, that you would never say, may you live a long life in English. And it, it stood out to me because... Because they keep saying it to Ronit. And they say it, like, in a passive-aggressive way. In a dismissive way. In a way that says, like, fuck you. Like, get out of here. But also, I have to be nice to you. So, like, anytime she does something that seems rebellious, they're like, oh, Ronit. And they're like, may you live a long life. And then they exit the scene. Because they're trying to get rid of her. (laughs) But it seemed to me that, like, that didn't translate. And it seemed creepy. And, like, the guy writing the article said they say it like it's the fucking Handmaid's Tale. And he's right. It did seem like that. Yeah. Like, something you would say in some weird dystopian society. Like, as a greeting or whatever. Um, So it seemed to me, like, maybe that didn't translate or that you only say it in Hebrew. And that's, like, a phrase you would use in that culture. 
so that you wouldn't say it in English. So it doesn't sound like that. <laughs> yeah, I think it would be less creepy if it was said in Hebrew. And I also thought there was, he mentions this too, that there's a complete lack of Yiddish. Mm-hmm. Like not once, not once. Like I just, the only thing that was said in a different language was the prayers. And like those, I guess maybe like the way they chose to do that was because it seemed creepy. Like anytime they did like prayer, it was creepy. Like the direction, like the zooming, the close, like it was like the slow zooming in or the slow zooming out. The wide shots often occurred during that or the super, super close ups where it just seemed like ominous, like something bad was going to happen and then nothing would happen. And I guess that was them trying to like frame the religion as like scary and oppressive, mm-hmm. which is fine because I think all religion is scary and oppressive, but <laughs> whatever. <laughs> oh, and another thing that stood out to me that really pissed me off. When she came, when she came back, she tried to touch David and he like recoiled because you can't touch a person of the opposite gender if you're not related to them. Like, and she says, oh, sorry, I forgot. Like, one, she looks like she's, like, 34, and she left when she was a teenager. So she's probably gone for, like, 15 years, maybe. You would not grow up in a society like that for 15 years and then fucking forget that. You just wouldn't. Like, I remember things from when I was a teenager. Like, that's, it was really stupid that she was like, oh, I forgot. Like, if she never touched him before, why would she do it now? I don't know. That didn't bother me. Oh, it super bothered me. Like, as soon as I saw it, I was like, she would not forget that. I think it was, like, she was so happy to see him that she just didn't think for a second. Because I guess, like, when you have been living in a different world for, like, 15 years where you can touch people if you want, and then suddenly, like, in front of someone, you're like, oh, my God, I'm so happy to see you. Like, I would probably do that, too. I mean, maybe. But, like, okay, like, if... If I saw one of my mom's cousins, like, we are not close, my mom's cousins and I. She's close to them. But I only saw them, like, three times in my childhood. I haven't seen them since then. We do not hug them. I don't know them. So if I saw them and they're nice people and they tried to hug me, I'd be like, ew, what are you doing? Like, <laughs> like even, like, and that's not, like, a societal norm. So I feel like she would just remember that. Yeah, maybe. I think maybe, like, they were trying to show how long she's been gone. They could have just had her say, I wish I could hug you. And then maybe he could be uncomfortable about it. Like, that would have been better. But they get that big group hug in the end <laughs> that I know you hated. What did you I say? Did it was it like the, the hug between Draco and Voldemort. No, that's what Tyler said. Shout out to Tyler. <laughs> <laughs> he said that it felt a little bit like the hug between Draco and Voldemort. Um, I disagree. I don't think it was that wild, but I did not like it. I just felt like it was very forced. It, I think even if he was like, okay, this woman is not happy with me and I have to divorce her. He just changed the whole trajectory of his life. Like he's no longer going to be the rabbi. He doesn't know what's up or what's down. Like he thought he was in love with his childhood sweetheart and she was in love with him. And he's getting a divorce. And she's leaving him because she's in love with a woman and she's having his baby. Like, he's not in a great spot. Like, no matter how forgiving you are as a person, I don't think he would be like, let's all hug this out like we're besties. Well, I think realistically a person wouldn't do that. But for the character, I think they were trying to show that he had undergone a radical transformation that started when he said, 
I'm not going to be the rabbi because I do not have sufficient understanding. And then he just like drops the mic and walks away. (laughs) I think that's fair. I think that makes sense. I even think it makes sense for him to be like, yeah, you can stay in this house until you're ready to leave. Like, even that makes sense. But not the hug on the street where people could walk by and see you. All three of you hugging in your weird poly relationship. (laughs) Not that poly relationships are weird, but that was a weird one. Yeah. (laughs) I had other stuff, but I can't remember right now. Oh, the sound. The sound mixing was really good. Because I thought it was really cool that, like, whenever they would talk, their voices would be sort of hushed. But their sounds, like, their kissing sounds, their moving sounds The heavy were breathing. Loud. Yeah. Like, not just in, like, sexual scenes, but in general. Like, people just standing, breathing. Mm-hmm. Like, because breathing makes sound. Mm-hmm. In a lot of movies, it's kind of like... Ooh, it's completely silent in this room. But no, in this in this movie, it's like you can hear everyone breathing and moving. Mm-hmm. I don't know. It made it feel, I guess, like alive. I think, and like real. Like you were waiting on what would happen next. So I really liked that. There were parts that were just really emotional. I guess, like when they went back to the park where they had had their first kiss and they went to the specific tree where it had happened. I was like, I'm crying. <laughs> but you didn't actually cry. You just said I'm crying. No, I did cry a little bit. <laughs> um, and then when she goes back there to like look for her, she can't find her. Say. Yeah. Like that's one of the places she goes. Because, okay, I talked to Sarah about this and there's a huge spoiler here. So there's a point where, Basically, Essie realizes that she's still madly in love with Renit and that she's not happy in her marriage. And she kind of seems to, like, lose her shit a little bit. So she leaves the house and you see her in a pharmacy and you see her, like, looking at something. And I knew that either she was looking at a pregnancy test and that's what she was going to buy or she was going to buy something to try to kill herself. And I wasn't sure. And it just shows her then going to a hotel room and, like, praying and being generally unstable (laughs) um but it's really scary for Renit and David because they can't find her and they don't know what's happening to her like did she just run away is she trying to kill herself like so it was really like I got emotional at the part where she like Renit's looking for her and she goes back to that tree she goes to the park where they kissed I cry poor sweet baby what were you going to say though just that I thought like when she in the pharmacy and she said like she's looking like I could tell she was looking at a pregnancy test like I knew that's what was gonna be going on because otherwise I just feel like we wouldn't have been like shown her and David having sex I think they would have implied it or like it would have been I don't know. Like, she would have looked more disinterested, I think. And it looked like she was, like, trying to remain interested. So I could tell because of his position, because of how old they were, they didn't have kids. And that was strange. So I thought, like, immediately, like, just going to the pharmacy, I was like, oh, she's pregnant now. Like, they're going to have a kid now. But then after when she was in the hotel room, I thought that she was going to have an abortion. Like, she was just like... Nope. And the way she, like, went about going to the pharmacy was so, like, natural. 
and strategized for her. Like, she got out in the middle of the night, and she made no noise, and she took exactly what she needed with her. And she, she got went, on a bus? She got on a bus, she went straight to the pharmacy, and she went straight to a hotel, and she said a standard set of prayers, like, she knew exactly what she was doing. So it made me feel like she's done this before. Like, she has had a hundred abortions, and <laughs> she just never wanted to have a kid with him. But then she came back and she told him, like, oh, I'm pregnant, so maybe not. And in the book, I heard that it was hard for them to conceive. And they had been trying for a long. But that wasn't given in the film, so. Yeah, I'm really glad that it wasn't her trying to kill herself. Because I was like, oh, this got a lot darker than I thought it was. <laughs> like, it was still really dark, but. Yeah. It wasn't quite suicide attempt dark. That would be too sad. I'm interested in what you think of David. As a character? Yeah. I think he is a good person. I think he's forgiving. I think he was caught up in something he didn't realize he was going to be caught up in. He's kind of obtuse. Like, he didn't really realize what was going on. Like, when they were kids or when she came back. I still can't tell if he was obtuse or if he was in denial. Like, I can't decide between those. <laughs> Both. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. Like, and I don't hate him or anything. I feel like he he knew what the right thing to do was. And he did it. Yeah. There was a point, though, where I thought he was going to beat Esty. Yeah. When they were arguing in the kitchen. Yeah. And he was, like, screaming, like, what's wrong with you? Like, and she says, I've always been like this. And then I thought he was going to, like, smack the shit out of her. But he was just like, damn, this blows. <laughs> <laughs> like, and it's fine for him to be, like, upset. Yeah. So I, I thought that was fine. But I guess maybe I'm just so much used to, like, either seeing or experiencing domestic violence, I was just like, yeah, that's fine. That seems like it's going to happen. Let me just brace myself for it. <laughs> like, But it didn't happen, so that's good. <laughs> and I did feel bad for him. Like, because ultimately, like, after she said that, he's like, just tell me what to do. Like, just tell me what to do to be what you need. And she's like, no, you can't. Sorry. <laughs> like, Okay, so can we talk about the ending really quick? I mean, what do you want to say about that? <laughs> Okay, because in the end, you kind of, there's there's a moment where, where they trick you. <laughs> because um, Ranit gets in a cab and is going to go to the airport to leave. And then you see Essie running after the cab in the street in her pajamas. And I thought she was going to get in the cab and be like, yeah, I'm fucking going to the airport with you right now. I'm not even going to pack. <laughs> um, a little, it did seem like that was going to happen. But she just jumped in the car. They made out for like two seconds and then she's like okay bye um yeah so I felt very fooled um but I but I know that I I think the ending did make sense like she ends up staying with him for the time being she's not gonna go run off and be with Renit um even if they are going to get divorced like she's not gonna just go have her fairy tale ending in New York because that might be a little too wild for her and I think that's fine. Like, I don't know if that's too wild for her, but I I think it's fine for her to, to experience, like, what it's like to not be in that community and to be a lesbian and to find her queer identity, not through another person. Unfortunately, she's going to have a kid, though, which means her queer identity will take a backseat to being a mom suddenly. Probably. 
Yeah. That's my guess. I was kind of disappointed that she was actually like, yeah, I'm totally going to have this baby. I'm going to be an awesome mom. Yeah, I thought it was kind of weird that she decided to have a baby, but whatever. I'm like, learn who you are first. Like, <laughs> that's wild. Well, I mean, asking her to get an abortion would probably be wilder. Yeah, that's true. Um, So what did you think the movie was trying to say, if anything? About religion, about sexuality, about anything? I don't know. Okay, I, I think a lot of people on the surface will be like, oh, it was trying to say, like, all organized religion is oppressive to women and bad. But I think it was just trying to say, like, that people are filled with faults. And they're just trying to fill in the gaps wherever they can. I think that's why David's line when he said, I do not have sufficient understanding. Mm -hmm. That was such a resonant line for me, Um, especially as an agnostic. Like, (laughs) because that just sums up what being an agnostic is. Like, I don't think I can know, like if there's a God or what God would want or what God thinks of anyone. Like, I don't know. I don't fucking know. (laughs) Um, So I think that made me like him a lot more that he said that. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think that kind of felt like what the whole movie was trying to say. Like, you think you know, but you don't. Yeah, I felt like that too. And I think that kind of like wraps it up like in a good way because that's toward the end of the film. So... And I think some people were probably like, what's the point if they don't end up together? But that wasn't really the point. The point was so that SC could be liberated. Yeah. I think that's a better point than just making it into like this lesbian romance. Like we can have plenty of those films. I think in this context, that's not the point. It shouldn't have to be. Especially because like the last, the last scene is Ronit at her father's grave. Mm-hmm. and she's talking to him and basically she's like that's her moment of being able to reconcile being estranged from her community and still like being like no I am your daughter I'm here to to visit you mm-hmm. and so I think that because that's the note that the movie ends on it's less about them ending up together or not it's like they both got to work out some of their separate issues and they still have more to do but mm. it like left on a a note that there's hope for both of them I think I think so and I think that I think as queer people we should be more critical of things that end with some sort of like fairy tale romance like that's something that's kind of been like fed to straight people and like straight women often believe like a man will come into your life and sweep you off your feet and it's gonna fix all of your problems you are gonna fix each other just being with each other fixes everything. And I think as queer people, we have the opportunity to say, like, that's not true. Like, and that's okay. Like, it's okay to, like, be in love with someone and have a romance with someone and, like, find yourself through those actions with somebody, but not ultimately find yourself through another person mm-hmm. because you're not defined by another person. We have been through so much therapy. We know exactly <laughs> what we're talking about here. Um, what? I think also, like, you know, one of my favorite things is queer temporality. <laughs> and, like, Same. maybe that's why all these straight people thought this movie was too slow or whatever. <laughs> they didn't like the pacing of it. But, or the ending. Because queer people live our lives, like, not in a linear fashion. We're not moving from one milestone to the next in a progressive manner. Like, we kind of float around and do things differently. Because we can yeah so 
Like the fact that it wasn't like, now we're going to progress to her leaving her husband and going off with this new person and they're going to start a new life and that's their milestone. Mm -hmm. It's like, things are going to be different. Like she's going to get out of there, sure. She's going to have a kid, but she's not going to stay with him. And then Renit is going to, you know, go back to her old life, but she's definitely different. She After definitely that experience. has more closure on her yeah. community and her father. Yeah. Those but, are all important things for people to learn. And you don't learn those through fairy tale romances. I'm sorry. Yeah. <laughs> but we can still cheer them on. A lot of people on Twitter are pretty hype about them because the actual disobedience Twitter has been retweeting fanfic or fan, fan art. art. So yeah. that's very cute. <laughs> I haven't seen any of that, but I need to look at it. So what do you rate the movie scale of 1 to 10? I'm going to give it an 8. Oh, wow. Hannah's getting nicer <laughs> as we go on in this podcast. Like, let's keep doing it forever so she keeps getting nicer. Um, I want to give it an 8.5. That's fair. That's fair. <laughs> I was I was thinking about saying 8.5. <laughs> But I scaled it back to an 8. I'm shook. Yeah. When we first saw it, I would have been like 10, 15. Like, (laughs) just because I loved the way it looked. Because I'm such a fucking aesthetic hoe. But, like, really digesting it, like, as a whole, story and all, I would say a solid Mm 8.5. So we've talked about one of our favorite things, film. And now it's time to talk about one of our other favorite things. (gasps) Television? Television! (laughs) Because we couldn't go a single podcast episode without talking about TV. And we watch a lot of TV, so. So I heard some rumors about a show that we've discussed before called Jane the Virgin. Um, the rumors are true. <laughs> I have not caught up because I don't really watch the show. But you, as someone who has watched the whole show, tell us about some bisexual plot twists that have occurred. So I am caught up. And if y'all are not caught up with season four, do not listen to this. There are some major spoilers. Okay. So apparently Petra is now a non-monosexual person. She has not said what her sexual identity is. Um, And I can't remember if the person that she's with now has stated her sexual identity on the show. I can't remember if she's non-mono or if she's a lesbian. Um... But her name is, well, Petra calls her JR because her real name is Jane. But obviously there's a Jane on the show already. Um, so she does. She calls her other Jane or her last name begins with an R. So she calls her JR. And it's her attorney that she hires to defend her um, when they think that she killed her sister. And spoiler alert, she fucking did kill her sister. Oh. Yeah. Um, she like pushes her and then um, her name's Aneshka. Aneshka goes over the balcony and she dies. So, so did she mean to do that? Or it was like she accidentally went over the balcony? It's unclear. Okay. Like she pushes her like, oh, I'm so mad at you. I want you to go over the balcony. But then when she does, she's like, oh, shit. She went over the balcony. <laughs> like, I don't know what was really happening there. Um, But it turns out that her mother, who's like this evil scumbag, witnessed it all. So she goes forward and tells the cops like what happened. And she hires an attorney to defend her. And she says like, I'm innocent. I did not do this. Um, and we don't, like, as far as we know, she is innocent and she did not do it. It's on to, like, the last episode when we find out that she really did do it. And the attorney, JR, also figures this out. However, by that point, they have been seeing each other for months and she's already gotten her off. 
So she like confronts her and tells her, I know that you killed her. And she was like, uh, well, I kind of did, but it was like an accident kind of. <laughs> and she's like, you don't understand. My sister's evil, blah, blah, blah. And then she's like, well, I can't be with you because you lied to me and you're a fucking murderer. So JR leaves her. JR is played by Rosario Dawson. That's her name. <laughs> so, and I, I read from um, the director and the producers that they want to bring her back. So I'm hoping they kind of, like, bring her back into Petra's life. Because I do really like them together. And I'm kind of bummed that Petra is a murderous liar. <laughs> but I shouldn't expect anything less. Like, Petra's always kind of, like, a bad person. Like, she's trying to do good, but she was, like, socialized in such a horrible way. And she was mistreated so much as a child that she ended up, like, becoming a bad person as a response to that. So I feel bad for her, but at the same time, like... You can't murder people. Like, behave yourself, please. Well, you know, us non-monosexual people just love to murder people left <laughs> and right. Um, yeah, it should be noted that the only queer person on that show that uh, was not a murderer is framed as selfish. Um, if y'all remember from a few episodes ago from us, we talked about Adam, Jane's boyfriend at the time, um, being bi. And them sitting and, like, having a conversation about it and, like, Jane really, like, digesting it and learning how to, like, not be an asshole about it, basically. Um, they decide that they're going to be, like, all in and they're going to be together. And she tells, she's going to tell him that she's in love with him. And he tells her, remember that job I said that I wasn't going to take in L.A.? Well, it's going to be great for my career, so I'm going to take it. And instead of her being like, yes, you're a comic book artist and comic book artists don't have big giant careers and you need to do anything to further your career. I support you as like a human being. She's like, oh no, he promised me he would be all in. And so now I'm mad at him and he's selfish and he shouldn't have said that to me if he thought that he wasn't going to want to be all in with me. Um, and then they allow her to be really mad about him for like the next two episodes. And other people probably encourage her. Um, mostly. I, and I think her mom says like, like, her mom and her grandma are like, oh, yeah, he is an asshole or whatever. And then, like, later on, she's like, well, I mean, he had to do what he had to do. And, like, it's not really resolved. Like, no one is ever like, okay, well, he wasn't that much of an asshole. Like, he has to do something for his career. Like, he can't expect him to stay here for you. Mm -hmm. She's just like, no, he's a jerk. <laughs> so... But I don't think it's that bad. Like, other people might, and I think that's kind of like... I think when a man abandons a woman, mm -hmm. I think people think that. Like, for his career. Like, people will say, like, oh, he's a jerk. But, like, I don't think that was that bad. Like, if it was Jane, because we care so much about her and she's the title character, and she has a career where she has to do a bunch of shit, like, move around. She's a novelist. Like, if she was like, I have to go to L.A. to do this, or I have to go on, because she goes on a book tour at some point, um, right after they break up. Like, if he had said, like, oh, we're all in and now you're going on this book tour for months and you're not going to see me, like, then they would have been like, oh, he's an asshole that's holding her back from her career. That's true. Yeah. Because we care about her. But, like, we don't really know him that well and we are never given a chance to know him. We just know, like, he's fun-loving and free-spirited and a comic book artist and he wasn't ready for kids and now he is. Like, he's sort of, like, presented as this, like, wishy-washy young character. And, of course he's wishy-washy. Yeah. So, like, and, and like, he, their whole thing is, like, they have background that when they were teenagers, they were in love and they were going to get married. 
And the day they were going to get married, he came and told her he couldn't marry her. Of course. So I don't think he's that bad a person. And like, he was only listening to her grandma and her mother who were like, you can't get married. You're fucking 18 years old. Like, you guys don't know what that means. Like, and he like was like, I thought about what they said and they're right. Like, we're too young to get married. Like, let's just give it time. Mm -hmm. And then she was like, no, I never want to see you again. So I don't know. And that's one thing about Jane the Virgin. It frames everything in a very, like, fairy tale novella way. Like, that's its point. Like, its premise. Mm-hmm. So I I enjoy that. But I don't enjoy that, like, younger people than me, straight people, will watch this and say, like, that's how life should be. So I'm assuming they're getting another season? They're getting one more season and then it's over. Okay. So they're getting five whole seasons. Anything else about TV? Well... We have some not-so-good news about TV that I'm sure anyone who cares has already heard, (laughs) obviously. But the Supernatural spinoff, Wayward Sisters, that was a female-led cast, did not get picked up by the CW. Some other things did get renewed by the CW that should not be renewed. (laughs) Let me just say that. That's true. But I can't believe that they didn't pick that up. Like, it really bothers me. Like, it could have been, if anything, like a continual cash grab on Supernatural. But, and it had really good ratings, particularly for, because it was a backdoor pilot for a Supernatural episode. Like, it had good ratings for a Supernatural episode, which means more people watched it than regularly watched live Supernatural. (laughs) So it's kind of weird to me that they were just like, no, we didn't want to invest in that. And the whole thing was like, oh, we don't feel like the characters are what we want them to be. So therefore, we don't want it. But like, I've seen them do some really shitty things. Like, I mean, Arrow, Supergirl, Legends, like they all exist and they're terrible. Yeah, they look bad. Like really bad. And it's just so transparent to me to be like, yeah, it got good ratings, but um, we don't want to. Yeah. Like, I wonder why. A little piece of me, though, wants to know if it's because they can't afford Catherine Newton Mm because she's a big upcoming star. I kind of am inclined to say that I don't know her, obviously, as a person, but she seemed really excited about the project. So I don't think they would, like, offer her a certain amount of money and she would say, like, no, I refuse to do it because it's not enough money for me. Yeah. Like, I think, if anything, it might have been, like, her filming schedule for other things. Like, Maybe. oh, she can't do it right now. I don't know if that means it's a possibility for the future or not. But, I mean, we can still, like, really hope that Netflix decides to pick it up. But I don't I think that's going to happen. Yeah. If anything, they'll produce it low budget and put it on CW Seed or something. So you watch Shane the Virgin and I don't. Mm-hmm. And I've been watching Siren, which I know that you haven't been watching. You've been watching more than one episode? Oh, girl, I finished I'm shook. everything except for the very most recent episode, um, which might be this. I think it's the season finale that I haven't watched yet, actually. Um, I didn't even know it was that far in. Yeah. And it already got picked up for a second season. Really? Yeah. This season was um, I think it was 13 episodes. And I think the next season is going to be 16, if I remember correctly. Mm-hmm. Or maybe this season was only 10 episodes. Anywho. Um, It's a very interesting show. 
it gets better. Let me tell you that. Because when I watched the first episode, I was like, this is the worst show I've ever seen. <laughs> it's very freeform. Sorry, freeform. But I love freeform. Your acting and directing is questionable at best um, on most of their shows. Don't make fun of my people. <laughs> um, so the first episode's pretty rough. I'll say that much. But it kind of hooks you in. Like, you kind of want to know what's going to happen. Um, I've been seeing a lot of stuff about how the main mermaid character is bisexual um, and polyamorous, um, which is an interesting question, one that I don't necessarily have an answer for, but I think it's worth exploring. Okay. Because basically uh, the main human characters are this guy, Ben, and his girlfriend, Maddie. And when the mermaid, Rin, comes into their lives... She basically shows affection to both of them. She kisses both of them. But I'm not entirely convinced that that's her being attracted to them. Or if that's just how she has seen humans giving affection to each other. And she doesn't know, like, what she's doing or not. There's also a scene where she gets into bed between the two of them. (laughs) And then they, like, sleep like that. That's weird. She's weird. She doesn't... She's not human. She doesn't understand how anything works. And she asks them questions. She's like, why do humans do this? Why do they do that? So she's just learning. So I don't know that I would call her, like, an out proud bisexual polyamorous mermaid. Like, I don't (laughs) think that's what's going on. I think she just doesn't know, like, cultural norms, so it doesn't bother her. Okay. But what is interesting to me is that Maddie and Ben both find out at some point that she's kissed both of them. Mm -hmm. And they have, like, little to no reaction about it. Um, I was worried that it was going to be, like, a weird jealousy love triangle thing. Mm -hmm. But basically... Ben's like, yeah, she kissed me. And Maddie's like, yeah, she kissed me too. And they're like, okay, cool. (laughs) And they're both, like, clearly into her. Okay. So I guess Maddie's bisexual or something. Unless they're going to be like, no, she's straight, but, like, mermaid sexual or something. Mermaid sexual? (laughs) Well, they're sirens. So their whole thing is that they can attract people with their their song. Oh, God. Um, Well, I hope they're all genuinely into each other. Yeah, I hope, I kind of, yeah, they're kind of an OT3. Like, I kind of ship them, TBH, okay. but I don't know if that's going to happen. We'll see, because it got renewed. Okay. So, if you're interested in, like, kind of corny, kind of crappy sci-fi shows, like, that's definitely up your alley. <laughs> um, but it does get better. Um, and I'm not sure if it actually gets better or if it's just, like, you're already invested, so you can kind of ignore the shitty acting. One of those. Like me and Shadowhunters? Yeah. <laughs> Although that definitely got better. It definitely got like, better. I think but it's until can... season three to get better. So Yeah, I think I can objectively say that that one got better. Um, like the acting especially. Like just go back and watch some season one no, scenes and be like, this is painful to watch. <laughs> so congrats to everyone on their acting <laughs> classes and coaching. We sound been... so mean, but... I know, like as if I'm an actress and I can do half the shit that these people do yeah, definitely like, not i'm not an actress but um y'all were struggling in the beginning i'm just gonna tell you that right now not believable at all as any of the characters but you know what you worked on it and i love all of your characters so good for you <laughs> especially though like especially sad jace i'm just gonna say that <laughs> we both have a thing for sad jace I consider it a character flaw in myself. I don't. <laughs> but mm, I consider it a character flaw in you, too. That's mean. Uh, and you say I'm mean? <laughs> I mean, I'm just 
honest. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but just because a man is sobbing doesn't mean that we have to love him. That means I have to save him. Okay. <laughs> See, you know. What? Again, we've both been through a lot of therapy, so <laughs> we should probably be... We know better than that. Yeah. We should probably be familiar with this particular issue. I no longer seek out, seek out people that are sobbing to save them. They just find me now. <laughs> mm. So now you are a victim of the circumstances that yes, the universe is producing for you. Exactly. Through no fault of your own. A hundred percent correct. Okay. <laughs> I'm on board with that. I'll talk about that in therapy in two days, guys. <laughs> just jot that down. Just jotting it down. Saving it in the notes. So anyway, y'all, it's Memorial Day. We don't really give a shit about the military, but we're going to get like some barbecue going. Some vegetarian barbecue. Yeah, because we're just so stereotypical. <laughs> um, we're probably going to watch some TV because that's what we like to do. Bisexual vegetarians watching television. Who knew? Uh, <laughs> and like not standing for the national anthem. Fucking national anthem. <laughs> <laughs> we'll decide later if I leave that in or not. Sorry, y'all. Um, but anyway, um, remember the queers are watching. Bye. Bye.